You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. This past week, I had a, a, a wonderful privilege. I had a chance to, every year I go to Word of Life to, to teach uh, at their Bible Institute. I teach a little one credit class, which for me is kind of, it's fun. You know, I'm glad it's not three credits. I'm glad it's not four classes. It would be just too much for me. But uh, I spent a couple of days there. I had like 160 students, and they're just so, so excited and excitable. And the class I teach is really about local church ministry. I end up telling them about River. I end up talking about a lot of other churches around and all that we're doing, those kinds of things. And inevitably, the students come to me and are like, you have really opened my eyes. I mean, it's kind of refreshing when students, these are sophomores, so, you know, think kind of, they're like 19-year-old, maybe 20. But when they're coming up afterwards and just thanking you profusely and they like, want to walk with you to lunch. You know, it's kind of like you have this little entourage. I'm like, wow, this is kind of like just God's doing some stuff. I didn't do that that much when I was a student. But it's funny because I've been, you know, transparently, as I even shared, every year I do an evaluation with a personnel team and a chance for them to speak into my life and ministry and that kind of thing. We just like that as a church. I transparently, I say, guys, this has been one of the busiest years I've ever been in ministry. Not so much for River, although it's a little bit of it, but more some of the other stuff I've had. And I've been evaluating a lot of things like, okay, maybe I need to let some things go. I've learned more and more that it's harder to say no, and you just can't say yes to everything, right? You have learned that, and if you say yes to everything, you're probably doing too much. And so, but as I thought about it, I was like, this is one thing, even though I go to Word of Life every year, that it's something that God is, has, you know, there's a, a passion of mine to help the next generation of pastors, of ministry leaders, of church leaders, of missionaries, that kind of thing, to figure out what they're doing in life and what ministry looks like, because I want to invest in the next generation. I want to invest in the other people around me. It's really what God has called me to. As a pastor, it's really equipping people, like we're preparing all of us for eternity, right? This is not so much like in high school, preparing you for life and what the next step is, whether it's college or life, or that kind of thing. It's like, no, we're playing the end game. We're playing the long game. Eternity is a really, 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 really long time. And if we go into it unprepared and we go into it half-baked or just whatever, like that's you don't get a do-over. You don't get a chance to re-sign up for the class because you got an F or a D or whatever, right? And so anyway, so I realized as I started thinking about all of that, kind of driving back after that, that teaching time, you know, an hour and a half, because the Word of Life is, the, the Bible Institute in New York is here up at Screen Lake. And I kind of was thinking about it, it's like, we are all blessed by the people that have invested in our lives over the years, okay? Just in so many ways, little ways. You've been impacted by people. There are people in your life that have been meaningful to you, who probably don't realize that they've been meaningful to you. People have had an influence in your life that just not even realizing. You know, neighbors can just have a conversation or model the way they live or various different things or coworkers or other people spoken to it. But I looked at my world and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, from the time I was maybe four or five years old, my parents brought me to church. They, my dad didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so early on as he trusted Christ, we went to church every week. And I think back, I like, 
I wish I knew the answer to this, but I don't know how many different Sunday school teachers I had, how many people that, you know, go into church on Sunday morning, and if we were there, like, in the middle of the week, and how many youth, you know, youth leaders I've had, and how many pastors. I mean, just incredible, the thousands of hours in the church services I've sat through. I wonder how many hours the worship teams have prepared. I can remember being in, like, a little children's kids' choir back when I was a little kid. I remember even being in, like, a like a Christmas time kind of a play. I was one of the shepherds, you know, that kind of thing. Is just a little, little guy. And I think back to all of the hours upon hours upon hours of service and ministry that people have done that even behind the scenes have just impacted my life. There's a, there's a lot of people that when I get to heaven, I'm going to need to say thank you to. There's people that, you know, were cleaning church buildings that I had no clue who they were when I was a little kid. And even, you know, later on, there were just ministries that were happening, deacons that were investing and leaders and all of that in life. And, and I hadn't even gotten to like the hours of professors that have poured into me and seminary uh, professors. And I mean, I've got two seminary degrees on top of it. And, and I've had other leaders after that have just so many conversations, because I just I try to constantly, even in this stage of my life of ministry, to be learning and developing and pushing and growing and mentors along the way. We are all a product of the people who've invested in us in every area of life. If you're in a job that you are excelling in, it's because people behind you have helped you to be able to do that. If you're making your life in the way that you are at home, then it's people who've invested in you that have helped you to do that. If you're a follower of Jesus and pursuing him and living out your life spiritually, there are so many people behind you that have invested in that. And I think sometimes as followers of Christ and as church members and as Christians, we can forget that and take that for granted. We can kind of on one hand minimize the impact that we have on somebody else, and we can somehow take for granted a little bit of the impact or the people who've served to make all of these things possible. And even today, as I think about River, just all of the countless of hours and things that are involved. So that's kind of to help us think this morning. I want to talk to us about how God anoints us, that God calls us and he wants to use us. He calls us to, uh, to serve him, but he calls us specifically and he equips us and for a specific purpose, he calls us to a people that he wants us to serve and he equips us to accomplish something that we do together. So I kind of want to talk to you about that, that calling. So we catch up to the story here of 1 Samuel. I'm going to be preaching on three chapters of 1 Samuel. We're not going to read all three chapters, not because they're not good, not because they're not important. We just don't have the time constraints because, folks, we live in a digital age where you're used to TV and commercials and everything blinking. Have you ever gone back to watch movies from like 30 years ago? Which seems like a long time ago, but for those of us that are 50 in the room, that was not that long ago, right? I was even, I was even out of high school 30 years ago. It was not long ago. Have you ever noticed how slow those movies go? Like, oh my goodness, this was such a great movie back then. This thing is so slow, I am bored to tears. I can barely, like, just stay with it. You ever notice, like, go back and look at some of the commercials and all of that? We just, our, our little minds cannot handle much. So we're not going to read all of it. I'm going to tell most of the story. I'm going to read a couple of passages that are kind of the key points. So last week, you'll remember that king, uh, the, the people demanded a king. 
And they said, Samuel, we want a king. And Samuel's like, whoa, 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 not a good idea, bad idea. And Samuel went and said, God, what do you want to do about this? He was the one person in the room. He did what he should have done. Whenever you're trying to make a decision, you should go to God. God, what is your opinion on this matter? Because our life belongs to him. Our world belongs to him. He's the owner. We're just the managers. And so, God, what do you want us to do? And we'll do it. And Samuel went back and said, folks, bad idea. And they're like, no, give us a king anyway. He said, this is going to be bad for you. You're going to be, you're going to take your kids. They're going to be enslaved. There's just, they're going to be a tax that's going to be put upon you. He's going to take your best animals, take everything. He's going to siphon it off for the kingdom. They're like, no, we still want a king. So fast forward today, God says to Samuel, Samuel, I'm bringing you the king. The people have demanded a king. I'm giving in to them. And so we are introduced by this guy by the name of Saul. Saul is the son of a wealthy man. And uh, if you lived in that time, if you were a person of wealth, it probably meant that you had a lot of land and a lot of animals. If you're a farmer, manure is a good thing. It's the smell of money. It means times are good. If you don't have any manure and you're a farmer, then times are bad. Like you want lots and lots of manure, right? And so, so they had lost some of their donkeys. Don't know how they escaped. Don't know whose fault it was. It's irrelevant to the story. But the father says, Saul, go take your servant with you and go find those, those donkeys. They got out and go bring them home. So they go out and they're looking for three days for these donkeys. I'd have given up after probably about four hours. And we're like, good riddance. These stupid things that kicked me in the shin. I don't want to deal with these things. Why would we own these stupid things anyway? Just get them out of here. You know, I've been like, good riddance. But Saul is obedient and he's trying to find them. And afterwards he's like, okay, we're not ever going to find these. My dad's now worried if we're coming back. And he tells his servant that and his servant's like, whoa, 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 we're close to this town where there is a holy man of God there and everything, he's an honorable man, and everything that he says, it comes true and it's real. Let's go check him out. Let's go talk to him. And Saul's like, well, we don't have any money to give him. Kind of, We get a picture of Saul that's really not too smart here. He doesn't seem like the brightest bulb in the package, you know what I mean? Not the sharpest pencil in the box. It, he should have known, like, yeah, you don't go pay your money to a holy man so you can find something out. It's like not the way it works. So and he tells the servants, like, well, I got a little cash, we'll go. And meanwhile, so they're going to, going to see Samuel. And meanwhile, here's what God is telling Samuel. Read with me in 1 Samuel chapter 9. I didn't tell you that earlier, did I? 1 Samuel 9. You guys aren't listening quick enough, so you missed that, right? 1 Samuel 9. Here's what God's telling Samuel. This is like modern-day movies. Like, if you see movies, they'll play a scene over here, and they'll show you different, like, the multiple things like Star Wars does. So we're getting the backstory of Saul. Now we get the other story of what God's telling Samuel. Verse 15, chapter 9. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man. That's key. Saul didn't go of his own accord. God sent him there. <laughs> he didn't even realize it. But I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. God knew they were under pressure. He knew the fighting was going on. By the way, the fighting going on in Palestine, you probably not picked up on it. Palestine is the same word as Philistine. Palestinians, Philistinians, it's the exact same word in Hebrew. We're talking about the same area, region, the same kind of war that's being fought for literally millennia uh, along the way. And he says, I've seen the cry. They're hurting. It has come up to me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here's the man of whom I spoke to you. 
He it is who shall restrain my people. Oh my goodness, he's supposed to save them, but now he's going to restrain them. Actually, God's people were wayward. And God was telling Samuel that Saul is going to be not really the best king. In fact, he's going to be the one that kind of reigns them in and that I'm using to bring judgment on the people. So even though Saul was an answer to prayer, it was also an answer of judgment that people were wanting on themselves. So Saul talks with Samuel, and Samuel's like, hey, man, uh, you're here for a bigger reason. Don't worry about it. Your donkeys are fine. Everything's cool. You need to stay here. I'm going to tell you tomorrow what you're going to do. Chapter 10, then Samuel took a flask of oil and he poured it on his head and kissed him. I've never ordained anybody where we've kissed him, so don't ever have to worry about that. If you just volunteer for ministry, you will not get a kiss from me, all right? Just, just want to be careful. We want to follow the Bible, but sometimes the Bible de describes what's happening, not prescribing what should happen, and that is clearly a description, right? He poured oil on his head, which was a sign that he was being chosen by God. He kissed him, and he says, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. You're going to be successful. You're going to accomplish what you're supposed to do. And this shall be the sign to you, that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. Get it? Keep Get the picture. He, Saul goes from being just a farmer chasing down donkeys to now king of all of Israel. And there's never been a king before. He didn't even know what it looked like. Kind of, It would be like you showing up to work and all of a sudden, you know, doing whatever your job is and somebody coming in and making you president of the United States. You'd be kind of like, yeah, seriously? Yeah, I don't think so. That's not going to happen. You know, hey, you got an email today. You're getting a promotion. You're now president of the whole country. It's all on you. You know, it's kind of surreal. So Samuel lays out like, this is going to be a sign. I'm going to tell you a bunch of stuff that's going to happen. And when it comes true, this is supernatural, and you're going to know that this is real. I'm not faking. This is not a joke like you're in. And he lays out like what his next day is going to be like. You're going to leave from here. You're going to run into two guys, and they're going to tell you the donkeys are all good, and everything's missing. You're going to continue on your journey as you go back to home, and you're going to run into three other guys, three men of God. And it's the details that are amazing. They're like, one guy's going to carry three young goats, I don't know how big a young goat is, but I'm like, three? Like, they're wiggly. I don't know if they were in a bag or a cart or whatever, but there's three, not four, not two, three. And you're going to run, and one of the other guys is going to have three loaves of bread, and the other guy is going to have a skin of wine. Why not three skins of wine, three, three, three? I have no idea. But he's like, that's what you're going to do. And they're going to give you a couple loaves of bread, and you're going to go on your way. And as you go on your way, you're going to run into some other prophets of God that are prophesying, that are ministering to the Lord, and by the way, when you do, the Holy Spirit is going to rush in over you on top of you, and you're going to start prophesying. You're going to start speaking out the words of God. And those signs are going to prove to you that you are God's man. And when that happens, you're going to be a changed man, Samuel or said to Saul. And so in verse 9 of chapter 10, when Saul turns his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. You see, who God calls, He equips, and He changes. None of us are sufficient in our own natural abilities to do what God wants us to do. And all these signs came to pass that day. And it goes on in chapter 11. So Saul gets named by Samuel. He is anointed. And then as it goes on, then 
Daddy says, hey, where were you, son? He's like, well, I'm out looking for these donkeys. And he said, yeah, we end up talking to Samuel. What did Samuel tell you? And he didn't. He kept his mouth shut. Then Samuel comes into town a little bit after that, and he says, all right, folks, everybody, we're going to choose the new king. He already knew who he was. Saul knew who he was. But so that the people knew that God had chosen him, that it wasn't just Samuel, it wasn't just coincidence, it wasn't just that Saul was you know, somebody special. They, he brought all of the tribes of Israel together, all 12 of them, and he threw essentially like dice or something, lots. So it's kind of like wherever the dice landed, he kind of had all 12, and the dice landed on Benjamin. Then he took everybody from Benjamin, and then he, he lined them up by tribe, by family group, if you will, and then he threw the dice, and then, okay, and it lands up on... Uh, on Saul's tribe, and then he said, okay, and then he starts throwing the, 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 the dice to whoever, whatever individuals that were there, and it didn't really point to anybody, and they're like, hey, is somebody missing? And Samuel said, yeah, go look amongst the closet. Go look in the closet over there, because Saul was hiding. He was afraid. I mean, you know, he's really not, not the best picture we get of this king. I, I kind of don't blame him. Like, I don't want to be in charge of this country. Do you? Do you want it to be all your fault? Do you want to run and take care of all the knuckleheads and weirdos and crazy people out there? I don't want to be responsible for that at the end of the day. So I don't totally blame him, but he should not have been hiding. And then he comes out, and the Bible says he's head and shoulders above everybody else. Just he was a tall guy, and Samuel's like, look at this guy. Is he a specimen or what? Like he is, he's the guy that you'd want to be king and a lot of people started following Saul. Some were like, who is this clown? Like, he can't do anything, right? Kind of sounds like modern politics today, right? You know, and, they're, and so he goes on and does what is natural. In fact, God told him, he's like, whatever your hand finds to do, do it. And so the next scene we see, guess what? Saul's not doing anything. He's not setting his cabinet together. He's not levying taxes. He's not running a military. He's back farming again. And then the enemy comes knocking on the door. A guy by the name of Nahash comes to a particular town in Israel. And he's attacking. He's basically has them under guard. And the town goes out. The men of the town go to him like to, to make peace with him, to get him off their back. He, they say, make a covenant with us. He said, all right, I'll make a covenant with you. Let me gouge out the right eye of all of the men in your tribe. And they go back and like, hmm, it's kind of a steep price. Give us a couple days to think about it. And they start crying, and the rest of Israel hears about it. Saul comes in from the field that day, and he's like, why is everybody crying? What's going on? And he hears it, and he gets angry. And the Spirit of God speaks into his world, and he takes the oxen, he sacrifices them, he cuts up, and he sends to all the tribes of Israel, and he says, under threat, this is going to happen to your cows if you don't come join me in battle against these people. And he goes and he wins and defeats them. And at the end of that, the people who said, this really is the king. Where are all those guys that were against him? Let's put them to death. So God was proving to Israel that they had their man. So I needed to kind of unpack that whole story for you. And I want to talk this morning about what it means to be called of God to a particular people that he in turn equips us for a specific purpose that we all join in together. So the first step is I want us to recognize that God calls people to ministry. As the video that we saw this morning, God calls all of us to ministry. If you, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are saved unto good works. 
that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. That God is a God who doesn't just save us and deliver us from sin. He says, you are saved. You are now a child of mine. You've turned from dark to light. You are now born again. The Spirit of God is now living inside of you. Instead of Saul, the Spirit of God rushing on us and kind of being with us or over us, the Spirit of God lives with inside of us here in this generation in which we live. And now I've got a job or specific jobs for you to do, and God calls us generally, all of us. I'm going to finish talking about that a little bit more, but I want to talk more specifically. There is a special calling that God gives to ministry leaders. In the Old Testament, there were three types of people that were anointed that, that kind of had that special calling of God as leaders. They were prophets, they were priests, and they were kings, that God said, your job is to lead my people Israel. Today, God has a specific calling amongst his people to raise up as pastors, as ministry leaders, as missionaries, as evangelists, as individuals that he sets down in their life and says, I am leading you to do a specific thing. Something that's important for us to notice as a church, that whenever God does that, the person knows it, the leaders in the church affirm it and see it. Ultimately, it's God who calls, just like God sent Saul to Samuel, that God was working in Saul's life, and he was kind of minding his own business. The biggest thing of his day was just whether or not he can find these donkeys or not and getting back home. But God's like, yeah, there's more going on in your life. And God spoke into his heart through Samuel. God confirmed it through the leaders of Israel at that time through Samuel. But God also shares it and reveals it with that bigger, larger body that they say, wow, you really are king. God really is using you. You see, as a church setting, that's the way that when people are ordained to the gospel ministry as pastors, that's the way it plays out. Usually there's something that's going on inside a person's heart where they're, they're either a burden for souls or there's a passion in their heart for not just ministry but for helping people to know Jesus and to grow in that relationship with Him. And there's always a bearing witness in that church family amongst the leaders. It's got something that God is doing in their life, but there's also this side-by-side -side recognition amongst the leaders there. And then there's a recognition in the church body. When we, and it's kind of neat that Dan and Steve, neither one of them are here today, so I can kind of talk about them, right? You know, but uh, early on, this was probably, I don't know, five or six or seven years ago when I was the only pastor at River, we realized like they're just, we needed to make some changes. We were doing some good things, but we realized our future is not going to be very good if we didn't change some things. And one of the goals was to find a pastor. And we didn't just go out and take a poll and, you know, and like, hey, who wants to be a pastor? I, as I kind of looked at the survey initiated, I, I talked to Dan. In fact, I remember sitting in the backyard with him, which is weird because I've never had a one-on-one -on -one conversation with him in his backyard ever before then or since then. And uh, when he has a lot of kids and if you want space, like you just got to go somewhere else. You know what I mean? So we had like, that was probably the only available room. And, uh, and I said, you know, we were talking about the leadership and I said, Dan, you know, as I look at your life, what are, what are you seeing your future in terms of ministry and church? He's always been faithful and committed and all of it. And, you know, we shared, and I said, have you ever thought about being a pastor? Because I look at you, you're teaching. I believe you have the gift of teaching. You're overseeing. You're like, you're doing the work already, and you're just inches from it. And I said, would you pray about it? It's like, I can't tell you that that's what God is doing, but would you genuinely pray about that. And he had thought about it a little bit before, but he, he saw it and he got a little more serious with it. 
And then, and he became comfortable with it. And what we did as a church is we didn't go to the church and say, hey, we've got a guy who wants to be a pastor. We turned to the church and said, we need pastors. Would you recommend people in this church body, whomever you want, gave the qualifications, and several people said, behind the scenes, said, Dan, we think you're called to be a pastor. Like the church body recognized that, right? That's the way that calling kinds of work. I'll tell you a secret. For years, I've prayed that more and more people would be called to that ministry. It's something that God does in your heart, and there's a passion in there. Oftentimes, other leaders are kind of God speaking through them to kind of speak into your life. But there's always a recognition in the church body. It worked fairly similarly with Steve, except Steve already told us that he felt to be a pastor. And I began investing in him along the way, and we began looking for pastors. So many of you guys are like, yes, yeah, Steve's the guy, Steve's the guy. Because God bears witness in the church body. So some of you, I don't know who, but I believe that God is calling or going to be calling in the future because that's what God does. His blessing is to call us ultimately to serve His kingdom purposes here in this life. I want you to notice that calling is always to a people. So look at what God told Samuel about Saul. He said, I've seen, I'm putting him up as king because I've seen the need that my people have. He's going to be prince over the people of Israel. When you and I, going more now, not so much to just pastors or those specific individual ministry leaders, but all of us are called, God calls us to a people. He doesn't call us so much to a place. And it might be a little bit of that. Israel was a place, but He calls us not so much to a thing, or a program, or a ministry role, as much as He calls us to a people. Your thing might be your thing that you like to do, but God wants you to use your thing in order to help people. So let me say it this way. A pilot might love to be a pilot, and they just might love the whole takeoff and landing and being a pilot and all of that. But at the end of the day, what a pilot really does is serve people. You see, there's nothing in our life that's not about people. We tend to get fixated on the specific things that we do. We get, tend to get fixated on the specific roles that we have, the specific jobs that we have. And if we're not careful, we can make it all about those things. But what God is saying, it's really about the people that I want you to serve, that I want to bless through you, that God calls us to a people specifically. So as you think about the ministry roles that you do, whether at River, maybe there's some other outside thing that you see as ministry, even your job at work, what's most important in all of those roles and all of those situations are the people that are involved. People are always more important than the stuff. People are always more important than the policies. People are always more important than the procedures. People are always more important, no matter how good or something that you're gifted at or what you like to do or whatever your thing is, it's always the people that matter the most. So God calls not just individuals specially, as we talked about ministry leaders. He calls all of us to ministry, and I'll go to that more in a minute. But I want us to recognize that God calls all of us to the people around us. So for most of us, for all of us, think in terms of like the people that are in your life. And I, I like to think in terms of three spheres. 
your work, unless you're retired, <laughs> then, then you're where you live, so like your family, your neighbors, that, that next ring of community, and think of church. All three of those are an arena where God wants you to bless people. Now you may do another, you may volunteer somewhere, or another organization or something, you put that in there too. I can't, we can't talk about all of those, but all of us have three of those areas in our life. Whether you have people, whether you live alone, or whether you have other family that's extended family, you've got a responsibility to invest in them. The people at work, you've got a responsibility that God wants to use you there. And you have a responsibility to your church, your church family, your church setting, that God calls us to people, not so much just specifically a role. So whether like here at River, if it's, you know, we have teams of people that come in and clean every week or that help with a cafe or the kids or run the youth ministry or the worship or we're beginning to cut down some of the trees and clear out a space because we kind of realize like we don't have a lot of land here. I covet the land that other churches do. I like I could legitimately confess that. Like I wish we had more property and like our kids could run around and play, but it kind of dawned on me like, well, at least maximize what you got. So we're going to cut a few trees here that, you know, that we can do legally. Like all of that is for people. It's not to make it look good. It's not to just take care of things, but it's for people. So I want to challenge us to think about the people in your life that you're trying to serve because when you're doing the stuff and you get tired and don't want to do it and it's rainy, and you're like, oh, I'll just sleep in. It doesn't matter anyway. Like, no, it really does matter. There are people that need what you're doing. There are people that we can't do that will never have the impact without all of the practical things that we do along the way. Third thing I want you to recognize is that God calls people, calls us to a people and he enables us, he empowers, he equips us, he qualifies us for a purpose among those people. You see, God didn't just call Saul, hey, you're awesome. Hey, Saul, you're great. Go and just do this. You're the man. You are incredible. You're a stud amongst everybody. You're just, you know, you're a specimen. You can handle this. He said, yeah, you need a lot of help, son. You need a new heart in your life. You need my empowerment and my equipping in your life. That God had a specific purpose and a role for him to lead Israel. Not so much to be a good shepherd to them. The Bible doesn't refer to him like a shepherd, like it does David, like it does other good kings. He was kind of a bad king, you know. Each nation kind of gets the king they deserve. We'll probably end up with a president that we really deserve, whatever that might look like as a nation here in the next election. But God equips us all to accomplish what he wants to do. We know in the New Testament, when you receive Jesus as Lord of your life, the Bible says that you receive at least one spiritual gift and probably more than one. It's kind of a supernatural superpower, if you will, that God wants gives you not to make you awesome, but to show that he's awesome and to help all the people around you. So some of you have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. Some of you have the gift of, of helps or of service, helping people. I'm always amazed when people are like, yeah, I just, I love to clean and I just, I love to serve that way. I'm like, God bless you. I didn't know there was such a person around because that's not me. I, that's, that's not my gifting. I don't, that's, I, I will do it, like, right? 
You know, to me, that's just chores. I don't, there's not a spiritual gift of chores, but that's the service part. Some of you have the gift of teaching. Some of you have the gift of leadership. Some the gift of knowledge and of wisdom. And God puts, gives us all of those specialties so that his church body, the church family, can accomplish what we all need because we really do need each other. Where would we be without the teachers in the room? Where would we be without merciful people in the room? I'm always amazed that hurting people always tend to naturally find the merciful people. They just are like a magnet. They just, doo, 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 you know, before you know it. So if you want to know if you have the mercy, gift of mercy, turn around. Are there just people that are hurting and needing and always asking you, you know, for a piece of your time, a piece of your prayer, just a piece of your ear to listen to? You probably have the gift of mercy. Look around the people who are always kind of quietly behind the scenes serving and just doing stuff that don't want to be like, you know, don't put me on stage. I don't want anybody to know me. I just, I really want to serve and help. You probably, and to help people, you probably have got the gift of service. The teachers in the room are the ones that tend to be the loudmouths, you know. They're the ones that are like are going to speak up one way or the other. And they, but they also have to do it with a little bit of knowledge. Otherwise, you get heresy and all kinds of crazy stuff in the middle of it. People are the hospitality people. are always like, hey, are you comfortable? Are you good? Are you welcome? Are you inviting? Some of you are phenomenal at that. I'm a horrible hostess. If I, with the other churches that we get together, if I'm hosting guys together, I'll be lucky if I throw like a two liter of soda and here's some Oreos. Call it good, guys. Just, just grab it. Like, that's, that's a good day in my book. You know, I'm just like, it's good enough. But... All of us have those, those giftings because God wants to use us to profoundly impact every area of our life. So here's the thing that I really am trying to help you to understand today is that we know ministry happens in the church. I think we know ministry happens in our family. But I really want you to increasingly to understand that ministry happens at work. Not just when you invite people to a church thing or not when you're just sitting down talking about Jesus. But here's the thing, your spiritual gift, you carry with you 24-7. You can't turn it off. You can only do it for God. So if you have the gift of mercy, then use it in your workplace. If you have the gift of hospitality, use it. Well, Sean, I sit and just make parts all day long. Really, I can't be very hospitable. I know not every workplace is going to play that out, but I'd be willing to bet you somewhere along the way it will, and maybe you need to show some hospitality, inviting people to your home. You see, the gifts that God gives us, he wants us to in turn for a specific purpose. And since you're all right now asking me, Sean, what is our purpose that God calls us to? Matthew 28 tells every Christian, not just every church, but every Christian what our purpose is. We glorify God, right? But he told us to go and make disciples of all nations, of all peoples, baptize them and teach them all the things that Jesus told us. That's the purpose of what our life is like individually. That's the purpose of what our role collectively as the church is. So God calls us to make disciples. I kind of blew my students' mind at Word of Life this week because I said, what is making disciples? And, and they said, discipleship. I said, no, you'd actually all be wrong because just about every Christian I know gets this wrong. Making disciples is actually outreach and evangelism, sharing the gospel, because it's helping people who don't know Jesus to become disciples of his. It's helping people who are far from God to become followers of Jesus. Discipleship in that great commission actually is the teaching. That's where we're helping people not just understand, but to observe and do and keep and obey and follow. And their life becomes all that God wants us to be. That's the discipleship. So all of us, God says, I'm going to use you in life 
so that other people might know me and be a disciple and might know how to follow me. Well, Sean, I don't have the gift of teaching. How do they do that? Congratulations. All of us do that because God wants to use all of our gifts that way. When I went to seminary, I was always taught that, like, you know, we should, should, all of us should share the gospel and we should all make disciples, and that's very true. But along the way, I realized I do not have the gift of evangelism. I'm not that guy. I've got the ability to teach, and that's what God's put inside of me. If I didn't, and if our pastors didn't, probably none of us would be here because we'd be like, why are we wasting our time? This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And it's not helpful at all, right? And so what I realized as a pastor along the way is that God wants to use your spiritual gift to accomplish that very specific purpose. He wants to use your hospitality. He wants to use your mercy. He wants to use your help and your service and your leadership and your knowledge and your gift of discernment and all of the spiritual gifts that He puts in the body that we put them together, but God uses specifically your ability to help people to know Him. So if you have the gift of hospitality and you don't have the gift of evangelism and the gift of teaching, guess what? God's going to use your hospitality to help people to know Him. And your goal is to use that whether it's with people at your workplace, in your family, in your you know, neighborhood where you live, and through your church setting. That God wants to use all of those giftings to accomplish that purpose. Because guys, God has more of a purpose in life than just for us to make our way in this world, to provide for our family and pass on the next generation. Yes, He wants to take care of us, and yes, He wants to provide that. But God is always working at a bigger plan. We get out and we're just chasing donkeys around. Tomorrow morning you will go to work and you will chase some donkeys. I will let you fill in the blank who that might be at work, but we won't go any farther than that. But you're going to chase some of those around. You're going to be doing your thing. But God is busy looking at a bigger picture and is like, yeah, this is not about donkeys. I'm sending you into a people's lives. And we get discouraged thinking that, well, people don't want to hear and they're so hard or whatever. It's like your spiritual gifts are there to actually take walls down. Your spiritual gifts are there to be a superpower to engage people. And at the end of the day, what God is doing to bring glory to himself is to lead people to Jesus and baptize them and teach them to obey. That's the role of everyone. So that leads me to the last piece then, as we think about Saul's life and kind of what it impacts us for is that we're all a Saul in that sense, that God is putting his finger down in our life to calling us to a purpose. Saul's role is to protect Israel because Israel was becoming the, the nation of God, and it was through the people of Israel that God would bring his salvation to the world. Well, that day is, has, that ship has sailed, that day has passed. What's God doing now today? He's bringing the gospel, and he does it through churches and ministries, and he's teaching people how to live and to follow and to model that, for us to model that life, and it's a role that we're all to be accomplished together. Now, here's where the thing gets interesting. God put his finger on Saul, but then Saul turned around and put his finger on everybody else. Did you catch that in the story? God said, Saul, you're my man. And then Saul threatened everybody. If you don't join me in battle, I'm going to kill your animals. Now, I don't think I've ever threatened anybody in ministry in life before. I don't plan to do that. I don't like being manipulated, and I really honestly try hard not to manipulate, even as a pastor, whether it's up front or privately or all of that, because at the end of the day, it's like, God's got to convince you. Like, you got to say yes or no. But I do put things out there, because as a church, we then are in that same role, 
we're not, pastors aren't kings. None of us around here are kings. But we come together to accomplish specific purpose. And for every church, that should be some form of the Great Commission of seeing people saved, baptizing, and obeying what Jesus told us to do. And for us as a church, you've heard us say it many different ways in many uh, different ways, but it's helping people have their lives changed, to experience life change by knowing, that's the outreach evangelism, and following Jesus. That's the discipleship. We tend to write everything we do here so that people who know Jesus for a long time know what we're talking about, people who are brand new to following Jesus know what we're talking about, and people who've never been to church before are like, okay, I get it. As a church, you want to see amazing things happen in people's lives. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't know if I believe in him, but you want people to know him, and you want them to kind of like Follow and do what he does. Like, yeah, that's pretty much exactly it, that everybody can understand that. And so as a church, that is where we're headed. And for us as a church, that's even why, you know, why membership is, is, is important for us. I had one of the students came up to me after the class, and she said, so this church that I'm doing an internship doesn't have membership. They don't believe in membership. Should I take that, or should I just go on? And I said, well... Tell me in the Bible where you see membership. And she just kind of looked at me and kind of like, yeah. And I said, well, you're not ready to make a decision whether you can stay or not. Like, what do you understand about membership? You see, our whole life should be oriented to the Bible. The Bible's our standard, and we look at that. And I said, I don't believe the Bible commands us to be members, but I do believe it is modeled pretty clearly. Like when in 1 Corinthians where Paul turned to the church and the church needed to take care of business, he didn't say, hey, let me get together all the elders or all the pastors and all the churches, he said, you as a church take care of that. And even though he doesn't say you church members, like how do you know who's in the church or not and who's really, you know, into that conversation or not? It's the church. And so at the end of the day, the ministries that we're talking about working together, the church is an avenue for you to be equipped in your spiritual gift, and it's an avenue for you to be to express your spiritual gift in essence, it's kind of your training ground. Church is really, for us, not a service that we just attend. It's a, we're, I like to think of us as a family. We are, but it's more than that. We really are a ministry equipping center, helping people to know Jesus, to follow Jesus. And part of following Jesus is discovering what he's put inside of you and turning around and using that to bless others. We are a ministry center, if you will. We're a center that's to bless our community and our world and in the lives. And, and that's not just like located around the building. That's the community where you're at work and the relationships you have. And if you're in, kids are doing sports, that's in that community. If you're a gamer, it's in that world. And if you're a, I don't know, needlepoint group, whatever your thing is, right? That's the world that we're to be invested in that. And so... God calls all of us into those kinds of ministries. I think oftentimes churches look at just pastors, the only ones who are called, or maybe a maybe deacon, or maybe just you know a very key leader. But I don't want us to recognize that God calls us all in the middle of that. He calls us all in service to Him. He equips us for those roles. So my question is this morning is, do you know what God's called you to? You may be involved in ministry that to you is a chore. There's some things that I do as a chore. We join in here with the men that, you know, I, you don't, I don't cook well, so you don't, guys don't want me cooking. But I can clean. 
I can set up. It's not my giftings, but I do it because it's a chore. Have you, do you know what your giftings are? And can you identify how you're using that well of the Lord? If not, then you might need to get some thought and prayer to it, and we might need to have some conversations with it because I, at the end of the day, know that you're going to be blessed the most, and the people around you need your blessing, and ultimately there are rewards and eternity impact based on how you live today. Or are you in a season where all of that is just dormant in your life? Maybe you've had past hurts, maybe you've had past things or past issues or nervous or whatever. Maybe you haven't ever really stepped forward in that. And we are warned in the Scripture to not hide what God has given us and to bury it. Instead, we're to use it and invest it in the lives of people. So do you know what God's put inside of you? Are you using it in your workplace? Are you using it in your, as best of your ability in your family and neighborhood? That's not saying that, you know, your whole street is going to all of a sudden just want Jesus. But are you using and allowing God to invest in that? And are you using it in your church setting? Are you allowing God to accomplish His kingdom purposes in this world? Or are you like, it's easy to fall into just kind of getting up on Monday and chasing donkeys around and you go home and life is kind of just this horizontal plane? Or are you living it on a vertical plane that says, God, I'm available to you. Would you just use me? Whatever it makes sense, whatever your hand finds to do. Are you taking steps down that road? Are you being faithful in that? Are you being available in that? A lot of times people are not serving. To be honest with you, because we've so filled up our calendar and our own goals that God's like, yeah, I got no room. You're not available. And are you teachable in that? I didn't create that little acronym, but are you still growing, allowing God to speak into your heart? So I don't know what you needed to hear today. As I looked at this passage, I'm like, God, that's the only thing that I see in there for us to really grow in because we don't need to know three ways to catch a better donkey. <laughs> we don't need, you know, we don't need to be talking about how to fend yourself when eyes are about to get gouged out. But God does demonstrate like he's the same God then as today. And what we see, even though we're not fighting the Ammonites and nobody's threatening to gouge our eye out, he's still a God who calls leaders. He's still a God who equips us to serve. And he's still a God that wants us all in the game. And sometimes we forget that and we put ourselves on the sideline. And so if God's been speaking to your world, I encourage you to step forward to what he's talking to you about today. So I'm going to pray for us, and our team's going to come up and lead us in our last song. Father, I thank you for this model. I thank you for this picture of what you did with Saul back then and a picture of what you do even to this day. And Lord, I'm grateful for people that feel so committed to give of their time, to give of their sacrifice, their, their sacrifice for their lives. But Lord, what I know is there is a blessing in the long run, and it is work, and it can be frustrating, and it can be exhausting. Lord, I know that when Saul went out with those men to fight, some of them died in that service. But Lord, you've called us each to serve and to give of ourselves in this life so that other people might know you to give of our gifts, to put ourselves, make ourselves available, and that as people know you, to also 
teach and to grow when we do this together. Lord, help us as a church to do that well. For those that are doing it well, Lord, I pray that you've encouraged them somehow is what I've talked, an affirmation that they're doing the right thing. Lord, all this ministry we grow in over time and over the years. And Lord, for those that need to be encouraged, maybe they're a little hesitant or nervous, I pray that you'd help them to have confidence, to trust you, and that we provide a pathway for them, for that here or elsewhere. And Lord, I, I pray that for those that just have been ignoring or just been so focused on in life, Lord, I know that sometimes just family challenges, personal challenges, just things pop up, that it does take all of our attention just to survive. Lord, I pray they'd not feel guilty today, but I pray that all of us would not go long in our life just kind of on autopilot or doing our own thing. Lord, help us to be able to know what our ministry is and what we're doing for you in each of those areas of life, Lord. I lift you, our church to you for your blessing and your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at River of Life Church or find us online on Facebook, YouTube, or at riveralbany.com.